Good morning and welcome to episode 629 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland.com. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? Fine. Good. Um, All right, so in 25 minutes or so, uh, Sahadev will be talking to Shai Davidi of Sportsnet, but... Right now we have Andrew Stoughton, who wrote the um, Blue Jays chapter of the 2015 Baseball Perspectives Annual. He writes at andrewstoughton.com, which is S-T-O-E-T-E-N. And he also writes at andrewstoughton.twitter.com. And he is also a freelance contributor to the National Post. Uh, Hi, Andrew. How's it going? Good. So your essay, which by the way, uh, I didn't even notice this while we were making the book, but your essay was actually one of only two that talked about somebody jumping out of a window to their, to their death. <laughs> Strangely. Like somebody uh, in the Indians essay also tumbled out a window to his death. So uh, a full 7% of teams, a state of their franchise, uh, finds a dead window flopper being prominent. Um, <laughs> but your essay prominently uh, features the Blue Jays' mediocrity over the past 22 years. And I won't, I won't recite the fun facts, but they always finish third or fourth, pretty much, constantly. Uh, they were the most mm-hmm. uh, third or fourth team in baseball. And I'm just wondering, uh, is that, uh, in your assessment, a result of something, other than simply their circumstances? Is it a result of the, t- the way that they ran their team? Or is this just kind of a quirk of history, uh, a lot of dice rolls landing on the same number by chance, and obviously helped along a great deal by the fact that the Yankees and Red Sox Never varied, and for a really long time, the Orioles and Rays never really varied. Uh, that's a that's a great question. There's sort of like a cottage industry uh, around here about you know thinking about that kind of stuff, but I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure what the answer is because I think a lot of it is just the rolls of the dice. Um, but you know, people really pick on Rogers, which is the company that owns the team and they own the stadium, which was built by public money, largely funded by public money, and they kind of bought that for a song and. Now they own the Maple Leafs, and there's a whole, you know, history of futility there that I think, uh, you know, nobody in Toronto wants me to talk about. That actually gets on everybody's nerves anytime someone, uh, you know, we have a lot of pundits here who who dabble in both sports and and are really sort of hockey first, and we'll just will immediately jump to hockey analogies for anything for having to do any with any sport. But yeah, Rogers is kind of just this faceless corporation that that owns the club, and that you know we kind of have come to view really cynically and 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 look on you know, in a negative light because of how bad it's been under their stewardship and how little they've spent. And, uh, so the, that's part of it, but I, I, but part of it is definitely, you know, the way that the Yankees and the Red Sox uh, took advantage of, of the changing of the game, you know, when the, when just all that money coming into the game, uh, you know, is starting in the nineties, uh, compared to how it had been before. And, and, and so they were sort of in a bad spot there and they had a stadium issue that where, uh, you know the attendance was great for a long time, and it sort of fell off. And they they did stupid things like uh, like they sold all their luxury boxes and had them expire at the same time. You know it was like a ten year uh, renewable <laughs> lease, and, and and then it turns out in 1999 they were terrible, and so they just lost tons of money. And nobody you know because everyone was 
you know, it, it had just completely fallen and there was a recession and the attendance had gone down and the strike and the team wasn't going to get it anymore. So, uh, you know, the, it's a little mix of both, I think. It is considered um, just a, or it has been, I think it's varied a little bit over the years, but it had long been an undisputable truth among sabermetric types that winning 80 games was essentially no better of an experience than winning 75 and not much better than winning 70 and that a team should do whatever it could to uh, avoid such a a rut of pretty goodness uh, even if it meant getting very poor and uh, that's a good theory and I'm curious though having lived through it was it as bad as all that or was there something kind of nice about having a pretty good team with pretty familiar players who didn't kick the ball around all the time um I don't I guess it depends on who you ask you know like I I love baseball, and I, I, you know, I sort of live in a community of people who do, you know, on Twitter and uh, and among my friends, and so I can appreciate all sorts of things about it. But the more casual people, uh, I think that really drives nuts. Uh, the, the way that for years it would be that people would talk about, oh, this team's a failure; they've had a terrible year, and it's like, well, they, you know, they won 84 games, they won 85 games. That's not necessarily in baseball terms a failure. They just finished third in the division and didn't make the playoffs again for, you know, the umpteenth year in a row. Uh, and that's kind of not a, a real satisfying answer for someone who just who just wants to, you know, see winning baseball and take part in what every other team has now taken part in in the last 20 years that the Jays haven't, which is, you know, finding their way into the playoffs. What do you think of the Blue Jays spending over the last few years? It seems to be an area of interest every offseason where maybe they – don't go all out or there's something that fans wish that they would do that they don't end up doing and Anthopolis will be asked if ownership would have let him do certain things and he always says yes and we have all the support and it's not an issue but in your essay you seem to sort of imply that maybe it's an issue in that Rogers has all the money but the Blue Jays don't have all the money so how does that how does that work? <laughs> it, it we kind of don't know because it's all so uh, behind closed doors. You know, Rogers also owns the TV network that the games are on, and it's not a situation where like the club owns a stake in the network. It's the other way around. So they kind of subsidize that network with cheap content, and we wonder, you know, how right they're being done by in terms of you know what Rogers sets the payroll at because it's all it always feels like it's sort of an arbitrary number, and we don't you know you don't know what the accounting is, and, and you know for any team who knows what it really. It, where it should be. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's easy to get really cynical and to look at Rogers uh, cynically. And I, I think that it happens especially because, you know, you see a thing like this winter with the Russell Martin signing. They went out and they, they put a lot of money into him. And the last couple of years, especially since like the trade with uh, the Marlins in 2012, uh, you know, their payroll has been top 10 in the league, which is, you know, it's hard to call an owner cheap when they're spending that much money. But then you know, the Jays sign Martin and then the ability to sign anybody else kind of stops. And it's, you know, the the theory, I guess, you know, the best theory I kind of can come up with and most people I think would agree is that it's just that's they're just such a small part of this corporate structure and they don't get the, you know, they don't have the ear of the corporation and the, the, the board to say, you know, hey, we really need a, a middle reliever. Can we have some leeway on this number that you've given us for our budget? Uh, you know, it, they're kind of just set in what they get. But I, I, that's just a theory and nobody really knows, but that sort of seems to be how they behave because they've been, you know, the last few years, the payroll has been, has been quite good. And yet, you know, they're, they've kind of stopped short of being able to do what they need to do. The Irvin Santana thing, 
uh, last spring was it was you know the prominent example it was just embarrassing where they it came out that they had to ask players to restructure their contracts in order to fit Santana in under the numbers they wanted. Uh, when it's like guys, you're you know you're paying a lot, but but if if you just do a little bit more, if you can pick up you know more of a marginal value somewhere along the line, you know you might have to spend some dollars to do it. But like you know like you say, it's it's not worth paying that much and only winning 84, 85 games. Uh, you know, they really should be pushing it, or at least that's how fans feel. But we're fans, and we're not the ones who are just sort of sitting back and letting the content subsidize our, our sports network. And what did you make of the Dan Duquette flirtation this offseason? Was that, uh, you know, a, re- a response to some leadership void? Was it a forward-looking move? Is there something Duquette does well that the Blue Jays haven't done well lately? It's interesting. I think uh, it's hard to tell what's going on at the top of the organization. You know, there's a uh, the the son of Edward Rogers of, or Ted Rogers, what he called it, uh, was you know the nickname that he used, uh, who bought the team originally for Rogers Communications and built the whole empire. His son is on the board and is the chairman of the Blue Jays, but hasn't really you know stepped into club operations at any point until this sort of came about. Uh, and we don't really know why that is or what, you know, what made him sort of sour or the relationship between him and Paul Beeston, which is what it kind of looks like is, has happened. You know, Beeston uh, didn't vote for Rob Manfred in the, you know, originally in the commissioner vote thing. And, uh, and we wonder, you know, there's people wonder if that's, you know, where there maybe was a split between them. And, and it's weird because Beeston has been a really good citizen. And like you say, him and Anthopoulos always will say, oh, the ownership's great. The money's always going to be there if we need it. Uh, and so the Duquette thing was a little bit strange. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that he's operated in Canada before because he ran the Expos for a long time and he's, he's sort of had other business interests. And I think that's the picture that we were given is that maybe that's why they think that he could be successful in this role. He knows the, you know, the country or the market because they kind of do market themselves nationally here. So maybe that was it, but I, I don't really know entirely what to make of it. And I'm not sure that, uh, well, no, I am sure that I'm not comfortable with with this guy, Edward Rogers, who's just sort of there because he's the son of the guy who built the company, uh, making these kind of decisions. But I guess that's, you know, we're not really used to that around here. We're used to this corporate kind of uh, structure where the, you can't, where we don't know what's going on. And to see, I guess other teams, you know, have idiot sons of billionaires who have to make decisions like that, too. So maybe we should just get used to a thing like that. So Russell Martin was the centerpiece of this offseason, and I'm just going to read you something from the the winter report card that Sports Illustrated did. I I review these often before our team preview podcast. Cliff Corcoran and Jay Jaffe just go team by team and kind of review their offseason. And so one thing Cliff wrote about the Blue Jays was, it doesn't seem like a coincidence that Martin's teams have made the playoffs in seven of his nine major league seasons. Or that after losing him to the Pirates after the 2012 season, the Yankees missed the postseason the next two years, while Pittsburgh made it that far both times. So do you buy that? Is it a coincidence? Or does Martin really bring something that we can't quantify? Uh, well, it, it's easy for me to say, you know, in a, the, the hopeful Blue Jays fan that I am, that, that maybe it's not a coincidence. Uh, I think, you know, we probably... We probably, I mean, obviously, with the pitch framing becoming what it's become in the last few years, and, and the way it's looked at, uh, you know, there's there's so much value to catchers that that maybe uh, we don't even still see yet. So maybe there's something about that. And uh, you know, here the narrative, of course, is about the leadership stuff, and and uh, you know, that's that's just the easiest sort of old saw for the for 
admitting stringers to to pull out and and I guess that could be part of it too I, I mean the the Jays culture change was sort of a uh the buzzword around the team this season which I, I, you know I don't know if I buy that either I've written a few things on my site you know uh it's funny how the the guys who get culture changed out of town are also the ones who you know aren't super valuable in the first place really you know you can't you can't necessarily change a guy who is that great on the field because you need him. It's, uh, you know, that, that the equation just doesn't work that way. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, I hope that's something, there's something to it because they've signed him for a long time for a, for a catcher, you know? So, uh, hopefully it's not a coincidence. I love, I'm way behind this conversation, but I love looking at salaries, team salaries from like 1993 because everything is completely, uh, unrecognizable. Like by ninety, like eight ninety nine, everything is almost exactly how it is now. But in ninety three, the Blue Jays had the highest payroll in baseball. Number two, anybody want to guess? I know the Royals were making you know big signings at that point, but they were number four. They had the fourth highest payroll <laughs> in baseball. The Kansas City Royals. The A's in nineteen ninety two. The A's were number two. Huh. The number two team in nineteen ninety three, behind the Blue Jays, ahead of the Yankees, was the Cincinnati Reds. Wow. <laughs> that crossed through my mind. Like, what, what would be the most surprising team? The Reds. And I was too, too skeptical to say it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so let's, I don't know, I guess ignore what happened in, in 2013 and 2014. And let's just pretend that uh, you woke up from a coma today and looked at the Blue Jays roster um, and found out about the uh, Reyes, Burley, uh, Johnson deal. Uh are the Blue Jays better or worse? I don't know exactly how to put this. What I what I mean to say is, I not uh, would you make the deal the deal again based on process, but would you make the deal again based on what you know? Is there is there is there good that comes out of this right now? I mean, are the are the Blue Jays still kind of fortunate that they have these guys and that they have this competitive window right now that they're still <laughs> somewhat loaded for a little bit, right? I'd, yeah, I, I think you know. I, I think they're in an okay spot. I don't know if I could say that they're fortunate to have made that deal. You know, I mean, that deal wasn't about 2015. That deal was about taking a really good shot. So they thought in 2013 and in 2014, which but, obviously but it kind, didn't it work kind out. Of, it kind of though, kind of became about 2015, right? Like, I mean, other than yeah. Anderson Alvarez, that's the one guy you'd really love to have back. But otherwise. Like yeah, the, uh, the, guard. I mean, if you're talking, I mean, if you're talking, oh Minari, no, no, Dickey, I'm not talking the Dicky deal. Yeah. Forget, okay. forget the Dicky <laughs> okay. deal. We're throwing the Dicky deal out. That one, <laughs> okay. Well, that maybe no one's taking it. Okay. I'm talking about the Marlins one. Like it, it did kind of turn out that there was a, a like a, a lump of all, not all that much that went to the Marlins other than Alvarez and uh, Reyes and and Burley will be kind of key key contributors, right? Yeah, I think Reyes gets kind of maligned around here because uh, his defense looked really bad last year, and you know he's playing on this stupid, terrible turf, and his hamstrings were bad, and and you know he had a shoulder problem, so he was making throwing errors more often than normal. So, you know, I think maybe, uh, you know, he he is still, you know, a really good player. He's not the Jose Reyes that he you know of five six years ago, but, uh, but yeah, he is definitely a contributor. And the Blue Jays love Mark Burley. You know the. There's all the glowing stories that come out of spring training by the board writers down there. But, you know, uh, Marcus Stroman and Burley have this relationship where, you know, Stroman was calling him like uh, like the dad of the clubhouse. And, and I think the Blue Jays really sort of value that kind of stuff. Or they at least do outwardly, I think. Uh, but I think in, inwardly, too. You know, every year there's a there's some attempt to bring in a veteran who's supposed to 
you know, just unlock all the everything that is possible for their young players. And, and you know, it never seems to work out. But they, they do seem to like stuff like that. And Burley had a really good season last year, too. We will ask you at the end of this to make a prediction. So don't tip your hand. But how do you feel about the Blue Jays relative to how you felt going into 2013? Because they had made all those big moves. There was all this talk in spring training about playoffs and we should make the playoffs and we will make the playoffs and there's no reason why we shouldn't make the playoffs. And they didn't particularly come close to making the playoffs. But what is your optimism level like relative to what it was two years ago? Oh, pretty scarred from that, from that experience, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. I mean, I, I, I remember like photoshopping you know, Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion's heads onto Ricky Henderson and Jose and uh, Joe Carter holding up the world series <laughs> trophy in 1990, you know, for the, for, you know, the opening day kind of thing. Like uh, there, there's a thing famously, or maybe, you know, famously around here was that the, uh, in Cleveland, the, the broadcasters there on the radio were like, Oh, we went up to Toronto and it was like a coronation. You know, everybody around there is like, you know, this is, this is the greatest thing. And they, and they were really, you know, it left a bad taste in their mouth, mouths and they were talking about, you know, oh, we kind of want to see these guys lose because it was a little bit insufferable. And I, you know, I, I could see that. I could see why they felt that way. And, and uh, yeah, we were really, really very excited. It's been a long time uh, that Blue Jays fans had like legitimate hope, not just like false hope, sort of, you know, if everything breaks right and nobody ever gets injured, maybe we'll have a chance to do something. You know, that was a year where we really felt that something was possible. I, this team might be better than the team then, but I don't think... Uh, anybody's quite willing to to go photoshopping heads onto guys carrying the World Series trophy or anything like that yet. So um, a couple days ago, John Gibbons said uh, that he was considering what sounded an awful lot like closer by committee. Uh, he, he wouldn't commit to one. He said he could play matchups in the ninth. And he said specifically it could be one of those deals where one night Cecil might be closing, the other night he might have to come in at the end of the seventh which is uh, like uh, uh, admirable flexibility. Do you buy this? Is this? Does this have any chance of, of actually being his plan on day one? And if so, on a scale of uh, 1 to 44, what is your excitement level over such flexibility? <laughs> um, I, I love the idea of the flexibility for sure, but I, you know, will, it, will it happen? Will they be able to make it work you know, politically, I think, is, is maybe even the bigger question, like, Cecil's going into his last arbitration year next year, so uh, is he going to be that cool with like, hey, you're kind of the closer, but you don't get all these you know expensive saves and stuff. We we are going to use you, and what a much more sensible way, in a way I'd kind of love to see them do it. But uh, you kind of wonder if that's a, a thing if he's going to you know, not to question Brett Cecil, but I mean any of these guys, it's a lot of money kind of on the line and. And I think he said, you know, outwardly that he'd like to get the closer's job, and he thinks he could do it. And uh, it's just, he's such a good lefty to be, you know, to be able to use it situationally in the, you know, in the late innings, and not just lock him into having to come in in the ninth. So uh, I love the idea, uh, but I don't really see it happening. So the Blue Jays have a few exciting young pitchers: Hutchison, Stroman, Sanchez. Who you got? Who's your Who's your guy out of that trio? Is there one that you're especially excited about? Yeah, it's it's Stroman. Stroman is, uh, is something. Although Hutchison at the end of the year, uh, you know, there was a, a few pieces this uh, you know over the off season about the slider that he he started throwing in September and late in the year, and uh, and was really you know his strikeout rate really spiked in September for whatever that's worth. Uh, so he's a guy that a lot of people really like. But I mean, Stroman is uh, Stroman's just fun, and you know he's a, he's a good presence on Twitter, and just seems like a you know 
like I, I feel old, but he seems like a good kid. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and like, uh, and he's just ridiculous too. So, uh, and, and there's the whole, the, the story, you know, the, the people questioning him because of his height and wondering if he's going to be able to keep the ball in the ballpark. And now he's throwing this sinker and he's, you know, he's got all these, you know, a huge arsenal of pitches that, uh, you know, I think, uh, at fan graphs, they had a piece from Jeff Sullivan, like comparing his, how his pitches, you know, moved him, uh, uh, to you know, crazy, uh, you know, crazy comps with you know Johnny Cueto and Roy Halladay and and all sorts of ridiculous stuff and and you know he's just he's fun to watch on the mound. He had a lot of a lot of uh, exciting games last year and uh, you know I think uh, the best is yet to come from him. So he's really the guy for sure. And I guess I could have included Daniel Norris in that mm-hmm. group. We got an email just before we started recording from a listener named Reza and. He loves Daniel Norris, and he wants to hear more about Daniel Norris. So tell him about Daniel Norris. Oh, have you heard he lives in a van? In the I have heard that, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has been everywhere. It's for, uh, today, I it think really it has. I saw, I saw like a <laughs> profile. I, don't, I saw like a few profiles like a week ago or two weeks ago, and I thought, wow, are there going to be more of these? And there was another one. Uh, there seems to be a bottomless well of articles about the man in the van. It is an interesting <laughs> story. It's a good hook. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think, you know, and I, I've heard people who were, you know, somebody was telling me on Twitter today that, that he was out in Vancouver, you know, Norris was there just for a, uh, for a really brief time because the Jays have a class A team and, uh, out there. And, uh, and, you know, he heard it's, it's not a front, it's not a put on. He's just, you know, genuinely this kind of, this kind of guy and who, who, the kind of guy who lives in a van, I guess. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's like an archetype there, but, uh, but yeah. And, and, you know, he pitched tonight. Uh, here on Thursday night against uh, Baltimore looked really good. Faced a bunch of like legit big league right-handed bats, which uh, you know kind of go throwing him right into the fire, and, and it didn't exactly you know didn't blow everybody away, but but held his own. And uh, and he's a really exciting one too. I don't know if he's going to start the year in the rotation or if he, you know even on the big league team. I think they'll probably keep him in Buffalo a bit. He's a guy who started in uh, Florida State League you know to begin last year, so I don't think. Uh, I don't think they need to rush him, but it's also kind of an urgent time for Anthopolis in the front office. So maybe, uh, maybe sooner than later we'll see him. And and I think he's really excited. You know, led the led the minor leagues in strikeouts last year. But then I think I think it was Keith Law tweeted something about that, and they're like, yeah, so did Dan Straley a couple years ago. So mm-hmm. don't read too much into that. Mm-hmm. And Sanchez in the rotation is that something that you expect to work well? Uh. I don't know, to be honest. I think they really want him in the bullpen, and it seems ridiculous. And I, I don't know if I, if it's Stockholm syndrome that I'm like, I'm kind of more okay with this than I should be, uh, because you know I looked at his pitch usage last year, and and you know the more he was in higher leverage situations in the bullpen, and which sort of happened as the course of the year went on, he basically stole Casey Jansen's job from him by the end of the year, although Johnson really or Jansen uh, pitched his way out of it really, but. Uh, you know, Sanchez became almost a one-pitch pitcher at that point, and and this is a guy who they think can be a front of the rotation kind of kind of a guy, and and to stick him there for a year and have him do that, I don't know is necessarily the best for his development. I think that's you know obviously the concern that everybody has, but they are really thin in the bullpen, and uh, he was so stupidly good last year that uh, I I kind of think that they that if they if they had their choice, it would be him in the bullpen and Norris in the rotation, or maybe. Uh, I, well, it's such a pipe dream, but maybe Johan Santana somehow uh, isn't finished and uh, and can give them something there instead of Norris. Yeah, and and the Donaldson deal, I was as guilty of this as anyone, but when 
that deal went down. Everyone talked about the A's perspective, and maybe we nodded in the Blue Jays' direction. Oh, that's a good good move for the Blue Jays. So what does it mean for the A's? And then we talked about the A's for a while. But from the <laughs> yeah. Blue Jays' perspective, there was no no complication of of trading your best player with years left. You could just enjoy getting Josh Donaldson. So I imagine that was probably a pretty good day for you. It yeah, it really it was. I heard from somebody. Somebody told me sort of cryptically through DMs, like, "Oh, Blue Jays is gonna get. Uh, they're like on the verge of getting like the best player, you know, at his position, considering you know contract status." And you know, me and uh, Drew Fair Service are we were DMing with, between each other, trying to figure out who it was. And we kind of, you know, once the A's rumors that day started happening, we you know we started getting giddy and being like, "Oh my God, I think it's Donaldson. Like, what is what is going on?" Which you know. Uh, added another dimension just for me with that but yeah it was a terrific day um I, though i might i if you told me in three four years that the blue jays regret this trade i don't know if i would necessarily say you're crazy like i mean brett laurie still has a ton of talent and franklin barreto is a really good prospect and they're giving up some pitching depth that uh, that they don't necessarily have and guys that you know oakland seems to have a knack for for you know building into something useful and Graveman and Sean Nolan. And I think people actually quite like Sean Nolan a bit. And, uh, you know, but I, I can put that out of my mind because it's, uh, it's Josh Donaldson. I think he's going to be terrific, especially in, in the Rogers center. I think it's a, it's a launching pad and that's, I mean, it's just so different from where he's been that, uh, you, you know, you can really dream on looking at his, uh, his road splits. Mm-hmm. And lastly, I wanted to ask you what Canadianness means to you how 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 much do you value canadianness because that was kind of a, a story this offseason too and you've got some canadian guys you've got martin you've got pompey uh you've got saunders how how much would you give up in war for a canadian <laughs> how value that in war if you've got two players and one is projected to be half a war better or 0.1 war better where do you draw the line in i'll take the canadian guy because he's canadian well, I, I, I get hated for this. I don't care at all. I, you know, I don't want the Canadian guys. I don't, you know, give me the best players. Like, it's, it do you, seems obvious. Okay, so how, how many does it go the other way to avoid a Canadian? How many, <laughs> how many wars would you do to avoid Self-loathing a Canadian. Canadian. I might, I might. I'm just to, just to avoid the, ha- you know, the hassle and the building. You know, the Brett Laurie thing. Like, Brett Laurie was, you know, he had so, so much smoke blown up his ass being here and being a Canadian and being... You know, he had that explosive cameo in the, the in I think 2010 when he came up and was just ridiculous. And you know, he's on the cover of you know the Canadian edition of the video game, and he's doing commercials. And it's like, you know, come on, guys, he's a, you know, he's a he's a really talented guy, but he just he hadn't really done anything. And it's, uh, you know, I I don't know. It always kind of you know I'm, I I bristle at the whole passport thing, but people do get really excited about it. I can't I can't deny it. And I think that's part of you know. A calculation that the team makes, uh, not necessarily picking Canadians over others. But I mean, if you look at the number of Canadians in camp, I, think I saw something. I forgot what site. Uh, but, but like just the guys that are at spring training, you know, the Jays are way out ahead. They're 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 really. Uh, I think they kind of didn't like the that you know Joey Votto got picked up from their backyard. You know, he's from he's from Etobicoke, which is uh, you know part of the city of Toronto, and they you know they're they're sort of asleep on someone who's so close to them, and, and things like that sort of made them more aware of uh of how much that does mean to people here and there's lots of coverage of canadian baseball and prospects throughout the you know throughout the game who are from just you know because they're canadian people follow them and uh 
So it's definitely, it's a thing. And I don't think that, you know, I think the Martin thing has something to do with it. Maybe on his end too, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's more sponsorship money, uh, being the catcher for the for the Blue Jays than there is you know where somewhere where his passport doesn't matter as much I don't know but uh, to me I don't I don't care but it's it's definitely a thing. I thought Montreal and Toronto didn't really identify with each other. Yeah no not not really not historically for sure. Uh, I guess with the Expos that that sort of helped and the Jays are sort of trying to win back that market and uh, you know they're playing the Reds there this year for the last two uh, games of the spring. Uh, which they did last year with the Mets, and it was an amazing party. I like—I don't know, everyone in Toronto likes to go up the road and, and party. They know how to have a good time down there. So uh, it's hard to it's hard to dislike them too much. And I, I don't know, the language stuff is maybe is maybe getting a little bit smoother with uh, with time, you know, compared to where it was at in the in the seventies or eighties, I guess. All right, I need you to predict some things for me. I want you to tell me how many wins the Blue Jays will have, and I want you to tell me where that will put them in the AL East. Okay. All right. I think that I, I know, I know you're going to prepare this to Dakota, which I'm going to go high, but I think that I'll, I'll say 88 wins, which Blue Jays fans will be like, that's way too low, man. But, uh, 88. And I, I guess I would say that's probably second in the AL East. Okay. Good and enough for the wild card, do you think? Yeah. I can't not say that. No, I, I think they could be better than that, but I felt conservative there. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think they are good enough for the wild card for sure. And what probability would you assign to Mark Burley pitching his 15th consecutive 200-inning season? My favorite streak <laughs> in baseball. It was, it was by the skin of his teeth last year. And he had a for lot the of last really three years, for the last on, three yeah. years, he has been between 202 and 204. So, yeah, he's flirting flirting with the 100s. But I, I, don't, I would say it's like 75% he, he'll do it. They're very aware of it. You know, like, he, <laughs> like they, they, had, they had it all set up so that if he didn't get out of you know the fifth inning on the in the game where he was going for 200 that they were going to have him come in in relief in like the last game of the season like they were very aware and set it up to make sure he kept that streak going so mm-hmm. i don't see why they wouldn't try you know if he stays healthy and he's mark burley so uh yeah i think there's a good chance all right so that is it thank you for telling us about the blue jays thanks for having me I hope the season works out for you. And if not, you live in the hometown of of Sloan, the best band in the world. So you can just go see a Sloan show. This is true, though, originally from Halifax. So yes. Can, but yes. Yes. But also, it all, and it never works out. So we'll just we'll have Sloan. <laughs> That's enough for me. All right. <laughs> so after the musical break, you will hear Sahadev speaking to Shai Davidi. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Shai Davidi, MLB columnist for Sportsnet. We will be previewing the 2015 Toronto Blue Jays. Shai, thanks so much for joining me. My uh, pleasure. Marcus Stroman, that's that's the guy that I feel like as far as national buzz goes, that's where the, that's where the Blue Jays are getting it. Uh, he's... He's listed at 5'8". I'm not sure if he's really that tall, but but he's definitely a short guy. And typically, pitchers, starting pitchers, it's hard to it's hard to be under six foot. 
and and lasts as a starting pitcher, but people seem to believe in Stroman. What is it about him? What does he bring to the table that uh, that makes people overlook his height and and just believe that this guy can be a, a power arm at the top of their rotation someday? Well, there's a lot of stuff there to start off with. I mean, you know, this is a guy who can bring it in the mid-90s. He's got some legit breaking pitches. You know, he's got the, a slider, a changeup, a curveball, or however you want to describe it, depending on the day. Really, a, a key pitch that he introduced midway through uh, his campaign last year, July or so, a sinker, that's become a bit of an X factor for him and has turned him into a guy who can get early outs from someone who used to be a high strikeout pro winning type of pitcher. And if he can start becoming or can continue becoming as efficient as he was in the second half towards the end of last year, then certainly a lot of the durability concerns might be allayed a little bit and they'll continue to get results. Ultimately, you know, is, is his frame going to hold up over a decade or whatever the case is? We don't know it. You know, the, the track record for pitchers his size isn't terrific, but in the immediate term, I, you, know, you can't argue against what he's done so far, and all he's done is, is had success. And until somebody changes that, you know, I, I don't see any reason to doubt him. Uh, there's a couple other young arms that are really talented uh, in this uh, organization. Daniel Norris and Aaron Sanchez stand out. Uh, are they right now, are we looking at them as depth for 2015 for the rotation and possible bullpen help? What's what's their roles to start the season, and, and could those roles change as the season progresses? Well, absolutely, and in some ways their fates are a little bit intertwined because Aaron Sanchez is tentatively slated to be the fifth starter. But there are some people around the team who really think he's going to end up being, if not the closer, at least a high-level late inning reliever for them. And they think that that may be a place where he impacts the team most. Now, if Daniel Norris wins a job, something a lot of people around this team are hoping he does this spring, he could end up the fifth starter, and that makes it a lot easier for them to move Sanchez into the bullpen. Uh, again, that could still change because if Sanchez just looks good as the fifth starter during spring training, then you know, they're not going to argue against that because ultimately there's going to be more value in him as a starter as opposed to a reliever. But I, the Blues really believe that both these guys are going to play major roles in impacting the 2015 club. And, and if they're going to you know, meet the expectations that they have of themselves, you know, both those guys are going to be playing pivotal roles on that team. Uh, let's go to that bullpen that that you mentioned with the poss- possibly Aaron Sanchez uh, being at the back end of it. Uh, is that right now when we just look at this team on paper? Is that would that be listed as the as the obvious weakness for this team right now? Absolutely, and the reason for that is because of how much uncertainty there is in who's going to be playing what role. Now, you know, Todd Redmond projects as the long guy and, you know, Marco Estrada is setting up as, as a swing guy, although he's possibly a candidate to be the fifth starter as well. And, you know, Brett Cecil is going to be there late in the games. You've got Aaron Loop for that, you know, six, seven, eight type of role too. But who fills in around them is, is a pretty big question mark. And they have a ton of options. They have a ton of guys who can give them different looks. You know, some people, uh, a, a bunch of the different candidates have already opened up some eyes. But I think if Aaron Sanchez ends up in the bullpen, 
that really solidifies things in, in one fell swoop. And if he doesn't, then, you know, who handles the nine? Is it Brett Cecil? And if it is Brett Cecil, who becomes your, your, your key guy to get left-handers out? Can Aaron Luke handle that? Uh, it, it becomes a big question. So this is a puzzle that's going to play out over the course of the spring. And really, I would, wouldn't be surprised if it came down to the last, you know, three, four games uh, of, of spring training before a decision is made. You know, there are some veterans on the staff. There's Dickey, there's Burley. Obviously, those guys uh, don't need a veteran like Russell Martin behind the plate to, to succeed or to figure out how to do things. But how important is Martin's addition uh, for those youngsters on the staff and maybe just the youngsters in the clubhouse in general? Did they Were they lacking that leader in the clubhouse? It's an interesting question. And I, I would go, I'm going to say that it's not only important, but it's pivotal for this franchise, not only this year, but longer term. Because if you look at the way this team's payroll is structured and the difficulty they've had in attracting or unwillingness to go out and sign big-name free agents, they are going to need their young pitchers to hit. And they're going to need them to do a lot of the heavy lifting for this team to be competitive over the next few years. Or it's going to be pretty difficult because it's hard to get the lead pitching and the Blue Jays have invested a lot of their, you know, organizational capital in these young pitchers. I mean, they've drafted pitchers, lots of pitchers, at the expense of position players because of how difficult the commodity they are to get. So, Russ Martin is integral in that, you know, his ability to, to frame pitches, his ability to massage guys through outings, his ability to get in the guys' heads. And, you know, I had a conversation with Daniel Norris today, and he was saying that how impressed he is with Martin. He, the words, the exact quote was, he just exudes winning. And, you know, whether or not this is something that, you know, you, you can't quantify and, you know, there's a lot of debate over how much this stuff really matters. But when you have people who are buying into it, the fact that there, there's a mental buy-in, to me, is significant whether or not you can quantify it or not. Now, does that ultimately help you win games? Who knows? But... Anything that puts people in a positive mind frame is going to help, and, and I'm sure Daniel Norris is far from the only one who feels that, and or feels that way, and I think that can only be a benefit to this franchise. Yeah, there's no doubt. I agree with you on the leadership factor. You, you know, you can't measure how much you, how much it brings to the table or how much uh, you need to you should pay for it. But one thing I've uh, that's definitely changed since I've been working clubhouses is I, I definitely buy that leadership factor that it's important, especially uh, on, on for younger teams or teams that have a lot of youth, talented youth. You, can always use that guy that that brings uh it's not the rah-rah guy but the guy that just does it right and prepares the right way and i believe martin's the uh one of those guys that that people really gravitate towards jose reyes i gotta say i was i looked at his numbers and i just assumed it would be a, a sub 100 games played i was i was surprised to see 143 games played last year and i was also a, a surprised that he stole 30 bases uh, you know i think it was only two caught stealing so he was pretty efficient and with the, all the injuries that he's had i'm surprised that he's he can still steal bases so how's he doing health-wise and what what are the expectations for reyes well, he had the one DL stint at the start of last season where he injured his hamstring. He bothered him at the, at the end of spring training. He took a couple of days off. Uh, he played it. Uh, he played one one last exhibition game in Montreal. Then 
his first at bat of the season in Tampa Bay on opening day, he hurt his hamstring running running to first base. And uh, after that, he was able to stay on the field, and you know he really grinded through uh, some issues. And I think the turf really wears on him. And what we saw defensively from him over the course of the year is that he was pretty solid at the beginning of the year, but it seemed that he lost range over the course of the season and he had a lot more trouble getting the balls up the middle, probably because of some wear and tear on his legs. Again, the turf was really hard on him. It's hard on everybody, but you know, especially guys had the number of leg injuries as he's had. Uh, he was still able to steal bases uh, he was still, you know, the type of Jose Reyes that we've seen, uh, but maybe not quite as electric and not quite as speedy and dominant on the bases as he was with uh, with the Mets. But but still an effective an effective offensive player. And and to me the question is going to be is how much will the off season of rest and maybe the new turf that they've installed this year at Rogers Center be able to help him and ease the wear and tear on his legs so that he can maintain that range that he began last season with over the course of 162 games. You know, you have to feel good about the, uh, you know, top six in this lineup. Uh, it's that bottom three that maybe brings some questions. Saunders kind of, uh, you felt comfortable with him at, near the bottom of that lineup, and, and they kind of caught a break, I guess, with him only being out till it sounds like, early April-ish. But it, what's the... It, it looks like the key to that bottom bottom half of the lineup is is really Saunders' health and and maybe the development of Dalton Pompey. Is he expected to be down there and, and get regular playing time? Are, are those two two guys really really could make this offense from uh, you know solid uh, to to you know really uh, formidable? Sure. Well, I mean Dalton the the sense is Dalton Pompey has the job in center field to lose and. Basically, if he can just hold his own in the spring training, continues to show the plate discipline that has the organization so excited about him, is able to make some strides defensively that he needs to make, particularly with his throwing, but also a little bit with his routes to the ball, that you know he he's just going to need to hold his own at the plate for to maintain that job uh, into the into the season. They're not looking for him to carry the team. Of course, you know any offensive contribution is obviously going to be welcome, but. You know, if he sees pitches, has quality at bats, and contributes what he can, I think that might be enough, given the rest of the lineup. You know, Meisner's tourist could be a bit of a surprise for, for this team in that he's always been a reasonably good offensive player, a contributor, a guy who can, you know, come up with some big hits every once in a while, make some things happen, you know, move guys over, just have a productive at bat all the time. And if he, he's healthy, again, he, he's what I would right now say is the prohibitive favorite to start at second base. You know, if he can be a factor for them too, you know, that, that gives them a little bit of a presence in the bottom of the lineup that can help maybe in manufacturing some runs every now and then. You know, Justin Smoke's going to be a factor too. You know, if he's able to find some of the form that, you know, made him such an elite prospect, the Blue Jays think that they bring him to the Rogers Center, a more hitter-friendly facility, uh, may help unlock some things and may help him get back to being the guy who saw a lot of pitches and, and shot the ball in the gap as opposed to someone who kept on trying to juice up and, you know, uh, hit home runs at Safeco to get the extra distance. Well, maybe that uh, 
that that could be a really nice piece for the Blue Jays offensively as well. And, and Saunders, they think he's also going to play up at, at the Rogers Center. And you know, aside from all the you know things about his health and things like and questions around that, you know, there is he legitimately seems to be embracing this opportunity in a way that you know someone returning to their hometown. Uh, can I mean in this case he's returning his home country he's from Victoria which is on the west coast of Canada but this is a team he rooted for growing up there is a lot of motivation for him in playing for this team and trying to help restore it to to past glories and and you see it in in how crushed he was when he was hurt and, and how relieved he was of his absence was wasn't going to be long term so I think all those guys could be factors. But you're right. I mean, they, it's a question mark because it could go out of the way. And, you know, ultimately we won't know until the game gets started. Uh, the Blue Jays, uh, you know, picked up Martin and that pushed uh, Navarro into a backup status. Is is he accepting that role? Is it, does he? I, I remember. I thought I read or heard rumblings about him him wanting a trade. Is that going to be an issue uh, heading into, or I guess we're into spring training games uh, uh, heading into, you know, the, as the season quickly approaches. Well, he's accepting a, a, as as he can be of it right now because. He doesn't really have a choice. You know, the, the, he wants to go to a team where he can play every day. And right now, that opportunity isn't out there for him. So he's going to, he's going to have to wait for a team to decide that they don't like what they have in-house and they want to, to you know, upgrade. You know, maybe Arizona ends up being that team, maybe Texas, maybe Chicago White Sox, who knows, or a team loses a starter long term and decides, yeah, you know what, Martin, uh, sorry, excuse me, Navarro is, is the guy to get. That being said, you know, provided that Martin is able to catch Ari Dickey and, you know, I mean, it's only been a, a couple sessions so far. They're going to be paired together again on Friday and that should be pretty interesting. But it, it, the expectation is that Martin will be able to catch Dickey. That would allow them to to send down Josh Tolley to still have some options. You know, Navarro could be backup catcher, DH. He can get he can get some at bats. He can come off the bench, and you know, the Blue Jays think they might be able to get, able to get him maybe 400 at bats in, in that type of role, which wouldn't be ideal because he's a free agent at the end of the year. Certainly, he's working the platform as an everyday catcher as opposed to a part-time guy slash DH off the bench, but. You know, that may be the best uh, he has to make it. But ultimately, I think a deal will present itself for the Blue Jays. I thought it was interesting because really early in camp, Alex Anthopoulos for the first time said, you know, it doesn't have to be an everyday piece for 2015 that helps us. I mean, if it's maybe a longer-term piece, like an example he used was uh, the Devin Travis trade. Uh, you know, he's a guy, an asset that is going to help the team, maybe not immediately, but, you know, in the relatively near future. I wonder if that, he might have said that, hoping that that might open up some trade possibilities with the teams that, you know, could have a need in that they won't necessarily have to subtract off the big league club in order to acquire Navarro. Does that, does that move the needle? Maybe, but I, I think eventually there will be a deal, but... For the time being, they're going to have to make that make, make do in, in a situation that's a little bit awkward. 
You know, this team, uh, over the last few years, there's been, the, the expectations have risen significantly. They're, they're, if, if I'm remembering correctly, they're, they're on quite a bit of a playoff drought here. And, and I have to assume that there's a lot of pressure on Alex Anthopoulos. Is, is this a make or break year? Is, is his job on the line if they don't make the playoffs again? Or, or is he safe? No, it's a very much a make or break year, not only for him, but for, Almost everyone in the, in this front office, and, and to some extent the coaching staff. I mean, the playoff drought is, uh, as we like to say, playoff free since 1993, and uh, it, it's it's certainly wearing the patience of of everyone in the fan base. It's the longest in baseball right now, and there's a lot of frustration about it. Now, you know, I think Alex Anthopoulos has done a lot of good things for this team. He's built up a farm system in in a way that it it, it didn't exist beforehand. And, the, the, the organization has made a lot of great strides, but they need to get across the finish line. And that's certainly the expectation around them. His contract expires at the end of this year. Paul Beeson, the team president, will be leaving and retiring at the end of the season. So this is certainly a, a, a pivotal year. Um, and if it doesn't break right, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. And uh, I mean, you mentioned that he's uh, Paul Beeson's retiring at the end of the year. What's a, do we have any any clarity on the Dan Duquette situation or anyone else? Is that just a hold on till uh, the off season or what? What's the situation there? Well, the Dan Duquette thing is is certainly dead for now. You know, the, the Baltimore Orioles sought Jeff Hoffman, Max Pentecost, two first round picks from last year, Bichney, uh first round pick from 2012. Uh, and more for for Dan Duquette's compensation, and obviously that was a total non-starter from the Blue Jays' perspective. So right now things are a little bit cooler. The Paul Beeston in, in signing a, an extension to finish out the year uh, got a guarantee that he would finish the the season in the role. So I don't think they're going to be looking to bring anyone right now, and they're not going to want to you know take away from from the team at this point. So I, I would think that until we get closer to the end of the season, I would say late summer, we probably won't hear very much about this. Uh, I think the, there are some lessons learned about you know how to keep things a little bit quieter. I, I don't think it happened on, on the Blue Jays' end that things, uh, things leaked. But I think there, there were some lessons that were drawn that are, are going to are gonna lead to uh, a more... A, a more quiet, uh, quiet search, and uh, and that and at that point, uh, that's when we're going to find out more about this. Uh, before I let you go, uh, what storyline, event, whatever it may be, th- this doesn't need to be the key to the Blue Jay season, but something that you're interested in as someone that's covering the team on a regular basis. What are you most looking forward to in 2015 for the Blue Jays? Hmm. To, to me, it's the it's the young pitching because one. You know, guys like uh, Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Drew Hutchison, you know, Daniel Norris, and when at the time he got his team last year, they're a lot of fun to watch. And again, like I said earlier, if this franchise is going to get anywhere, these young guys have to do the heavy lifting, and it's going to be up to them. And, you know, Sanchez in particular to me is fascinating because, you know, they're they're having the, the tough time figuring out what's the right role for him or what's the right role for him within the team. But he has the the highest upside of any of those guys, and, and he can really be something special if he ends up hitting as a starter. 
And you wonder if, if he ends up spending the year in the bullpen, does that stunt his growth as a starter in some way? And is that a, a risk that the franchise can, can afford? I mean, maybe, maybe he just becomes so good as a closer, you know, he turns into a American League kid, Craig uh, Kimbrell or something like that. And you're like, okay, you know what? There's enough value there. But, you know, there's some people in the organization who will always be wondering what, what, what he might have been had he been a starter because, uh, because that ceiling is so high. So to me, I think that the young pitching is going to be what, what's going to be the most important thing about the Blue Jays because it's not only about this year. It's about the, the next few years of this team. You know, they, they've tried to become the, the Tampa Bay Rays and be self-sufficient in terms of starting pitching and be able to turn, turn over the rotation if needed with, and, and just have bodies waiting. And this is the beginning now of Alex F. Alper's vision. And really, this is a lot of what his uh, his time as GM should be judged upon. Because if if he succeeds in in developing that line of young pitchers that are ready to come and emerge into the big leagues, then then this team is going to be positioned to have a sustainable run as a contender. And if it doesn't, then a, a lot of the past few years have been lost. Shy, before I let you go, why don't you let the let the listeners know where they can read your work and where they can find you on Twitter? All right. Well, my work can be found on sportsnet.ca, and myself and a lot of great colleagues, we, uh, we cover the Blue Jays baseball uh, pretty comprehensively for a Canadian site. So uh, the, there's a lot of content there that people can enjoy. And on Twitter, my handle is at uh, ShyDavidi, S-H-I-D-A-B-I-D-I. That's Shai Davidi, MLB columnist for Sportsnet.ca. Shai, thanks so much for your time. Take care. Thank you for having me. All right, that's it for our Blue Jays podcast. Thanks for listening. You can email us for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes. And support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code BP and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We will be back on Monday with the New York Mets preview. Have a wonderful weekend.